You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We're going to continue this conversation about the good fight, and uh, we are near the end of this, this journey. And so, again, for those of you that may be just joining us online for the first time, or maybe you're coming in for the first Sunday uh, here, and you're just kind of wondering, like, why in the world we'd be talking about fighting, just let me give uh, just a couple of minutes to, to ramp in for you so that you don't feel lost. The Apostle Paul is, is one that God used to write a, a good chunk of the New Testament. He also used the, the Apostle Paul to bring the word of God and the good news that Jesus came and, and met us where we were as a savior of the world. He died on a cross. He came back from the dead so that we could have new life. He took this message, the Apostle Paul took this message to the world especially to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, because God had focused on the, Gen- on the Jewish people for so many years as a means of showing what it's like to be in a long-term relationship with the good, the bad, and the ugly for so many uh, centuries. And now God was expanding this to other people other than the Jewish people, although he expanded it in the Old Testament, if you look closely enough. But Paul took this and he, he poured his life out for the mission of God. And the challenge for us in our culture, in our society, is that we're all busy, we're all cluttered, we're all, uh, you know, overscheduled, and I don't know too many people that wake up and think, I'm just not quite sure what I want to do today. We're all, we all have full cups. And the challenge is that those things can overtake us, and that becomes our life, and that becomes the central part of our life. Sometimes raising kids is that way, or being in a job, or being in two jobs, and some of you may have two or three jobs. And all of those things tend to just tackle our um, availability at times. They tackle our attention, our focus, to really be about the business of, of the mission of God, the thing that we're created for. We were not created just to have a job. We're not created just to have kids. We're not created to, you know, save up and, you know, uh, I was going to say buy a house, save up so that we can owe the bank for our house, <laughs> right? These are things that we have to do in life, but that's not why God designed us. God designed us to be about his work, his, his mission, and that mission can be heavy behind the scenes, as we've talked about many times in our church family there's a supernatural spiritual dimension that we cannot see with the physical physical eye, but we see the manifestation of it in our culture that, 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 that evil and negativity and darkness, they come through. If you, if you don't believe it, you know, go home and watch about five minutes of news. We've seen it this week. We've had mass shootings this week. I just read this morning, there have been over uh, around 450 mass shootings in 2023, and we're only in August. This is a manifestation. It doesn't come out of nowhere. And God placed us in this almost, you could think of it as enemy territory, to rescue those that, like us as Christ followers, were caught up into that. And somebody crossed over enemy lines. I can tell you who it was in my life, and many of you could tell who it was in your life that had the courage to cross over and say, there is a savior. There is 
someone that we that I can bring you to that will make sense of this whole human experience because without Christ in the human experience, the human experience is dismally unhopeful. The life without Christ in it is only a quagmire of religious bewilderment. Like, are we good enough? Have we done enough ritual? Am I hitting the the good enough grade? And then Christ comes along and says, I have come and I have loved you anyway. I have loved you in the midst of your brokenness. And I offer to you an entirely different plan than a human plan of trying harder and harder and harder in hopes that you'll be okay with God. He says, I have come and the work is finished on the cross. Mysteriously, miraculously, I have absorbed your sins on the cross. This is the offer that I make to you that if you only receive this offer, if you only surrender your life, your ambition, your focus, everything, and let me drive your life, if you come to me and just release your grip on your own life and let me hold you instead of you gripping it, then you can experience new life and I'll breathe into you. I'll ignite mysteriously to blow your mind. This is not just check you're okay, but I will fuel you with the Holy Spirit inside so that now you can be on mission. This is why we're on the earth. This is why we're here. So when you look at the story of the good fight, the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have just described to you what the good fight is. The good fight, let's take it from this angle today, is to be sent to be living on on mission. In fact, I'm reading a book, just started reading a book called Scent. And a mindset that every minute of every day, whether we're on work, we're at home, we are sent. That is our identity. To fight the good fight is to live a life that's being sent as a missionary, as a rescue team, crossing into enemy territory, bringing the good news of Christ and helping people know, watch, that they have someone to go to, not somewhere to go to. In other words, we're not just saying the somewhere, hey, you get to go to heaven. Oh, it's, it's beyond heaven. When Jesus was speaking into heaven, it always included him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because he was, get, he was telling his disciples that he was getting ready to die. Because I want you to be where I am. He's not just saying, oh, man, heaven's going to blow your mind. Man, the music is unbelievable. And the DJ, whoa, I tell you, wait for that to happen. No, he's saying, I want you to be with where, where I am so we have someone to bring them to. We begin today by talking about then the possible, what makes that possible. Let me say something that could perhaps offend you because it needs explanation at, at the outset. It was not enough that Jesus died on a cross. It was not enough that Jesus died on a cross. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not risen, you're still in your sins. And that is a deep topic. But what he's saying is that if Christ would have only died on a cross and they had entombed him in some Middle Eastern grave, 
or the side of a hillside or a tomb or whatever, then there would be a lot of things that were incomplete. The challenge for us as Christians is that we often focus only on the crucifixion. Should we? Absolutely. Christ died for your sins as the, as the promised Lamb of God. Absolutely. But today, we're going to fight to articulate the full message of the good news. And the message of the good news does not stop at the cross. It stops at an empty, it, it, it begins at the empty grave. Because if there's not an empty grave, there's no one to, to cross into enemy lines to bring someone to. No one can bring someone to Christ if Christ is laying in a grave. I know that seems simple. But we have to articulate to people that there is someone to go to, and the only reason there's someone to go to is that someone died, and that someone who died is no longer dead because that someone came back from life, from death. And because he came back from death, it's such a powerful and interesting and um, a central part of our message. Here's what's fascinating to me. When you read this, these intersections in the New Testament, as we're about to read, everybody's cool with Jesus dying. When, when Paul or Peter, John, when they're all talking to people that don't yet know Christ, maybe people who are opposed to Christ, everything's cool until we get to the resurrection. Because the resurrection says that God is absolutely in control and that Jesus wasn't just some historic figure who was martyred for a cause. Because quite frankly, there have been a lot of whacked out cult leaders who've died for their cause. And the world will say, okay, big deal. A lot of people die for their cause. But Christ says, no, he came back from the dead. Watch this, Acts chapter 4 the church is just getting on a roll here. Just this is at the beginning. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. In other words, they were disturbed because of the resurrection. How come they weren't disturbed about the crucifixion? Because they were like, well, we won. Christ, we weren't for Christ anyway, and, we, and he got killed. Yay. But now he's back, and that says something. Later in the same book, in the book of Acts, in verse 26, Paul is speaking, and he's speaking to uh, a leader called Festus. Totally always... Tempted to put a gun smoke joke in there, but I'll bypass it today. And some of the young people are like, gun what? What are we talking about? I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, Paul speaking to Festus, that the, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light in the enemy territory to his own people and around the world to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. At this point, at what point? At the point that he talked about a guy coming back from the dead. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense and said, you're not, 
You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your your great learning has driven you insane because dead people do not come back from the dead. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true, watch, and reasonable. Now, it's crazy to think that a dead person coming back from being dead is reasonable. But he's saying it's reasonable for a lot of reasons. And what he began with is that God's been talking about this for a long time. And what makes it reasonable is that we serve a God who brought life to the entire universe And he has the power then to bring life to those who are dead. In other words, well, that makes sense. Some people say, well, I don't believe that Jesus came back from the dead. In fact, the percentage of American citizens that believe that Jesus is still dead is over 35%. 35% of Americans believe that Jesus did not come back from the dead. Guess what? We got our work cut out for us. We have to fight to articulate this importance, the critical importance of everything that we're talking about. Why? Because if Christ is not alive, then we'll never be alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for since death came through a man, check out the news, The resurrection of the dead also comes to a man. For is in Adam all die, in Christ all will be alive. Okay, let's bring it home. Now we go to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. We have gone through this story uh, every single week because the story of Joseph in the Old Testament is a great picture of who Christ is. Last week, you might remember that the, uh, that, Uh, Joseph, who has 11 other brothers, they had sold him out, the 10 older brothers, he had one younger one, Benjamin, the the 10 older brothers had sold him out many, many years prior. What I mean by selling him out is they trafficked him. They were jealous of the relationship that Joseph had with the dad, and they sold him out. They wanted to kill him at first, but one of the brothers said, hey, whoa, that's that's too much, Let's, let's sell him uh, and to, into slavery uh, with this group of people called the Midianites. They took him to Egypt, and now they've been separated. They went back to the father, and they said, your son is dead. This is a picture for us of at least a third, uh, more than a third of Americans say to, to God, your son is dead. The Messiah is dead. The Savior is dead. And in that statement, there is no hope for the world. If Christ did not penetrate and pierce the wall of death and darkness, then there is no hope. We're, we're all doomed. There's no one to go to. It's like a black, it's like the, a black hole, like the, the Grand Canyon at night. There's nothing there. You're just going to drop over the edge. So the boys, after they sold uh, Joseph into slavery, they took his robe, his multicolored robe, and they put some blood on it from an animal, 
And this is what they said to their dad. They got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. And just like Christ, there are those that let logic get ahead of them and their human mindset, and they'll say, examine it. He's dead. Look at the facts. Nobody comes back from the dead. Somebody stole his body. Somebody, some people will say they were hallucinating when, when they saw Christ. You mean all of them? All of them saw the same hallucination. But to use human reasoning, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Just check it out, the argument might go. Christ is dead. Your son is dead. He recognized it, and he became convinced. The enemy of God is going around the world convincing people that Christ is dead, that he's just like a religious leader. Examine it for yourself. And so he looks, he recognizes, and he bought it. The dad bought, in this story, Jacob, the dad bought the story like, wow, that is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him, and Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. My son is dead. And in that moment, as you would, he went into deep grief. The world will be in deep grief without Christ. You know the weird thing about life? I think especially in the, in, the, in the American culture is that we've been conditioned to at least look happy. We've been conditioned to make sure we post positively on social media. We've been conditioned to say, hey, how's your week? Good, fine. I've spoken to, to many men across the the years at a, at a table for two and say, hey, how's your marriage going? Fantastic. That's, that's how we're trained as men to answer. And so you really begin to dig down deep and it's not even close to fantastic. How's your walk with God? Good, yeah, pretty good, yeah. I'm just saying that's, that's our natural conditioning. And what I'm, the reason I bring that up is don't fool don't yourself that the people that where you live, work, and play, just because we're conditioned to be happy, that deep down they, they're not voicing their deep need. Like, I wish I had a friend. I wish I had hope. I wish I had God in my life. I've spoken to people that are resistant about God in their life, and yet they still wanted God in their life. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And they're resistant to God in their life because they've got some image and something really went haywire in their, in their childhood. They're equating God with an abusive parent. They're equating God with a, a, a with an abusive priest or a pastor. They're equating God with the Christian that acted, you know, immorally, they're, or, or rudely, or whatever. And they have equated God, and it's up to us to go into enemy territory and say, "No, God is better. God is bigger than what's in your head. God is a different picture than who you think He is. God is." Great. God is awesome. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is perfect. God loves you. God loves you deeply. All of these things, there is a world that thinks the son is dead. And if they don't think he's physically dead, he's dead into their lives. It's an, it's, it's an incredible mission that we're sent on. And so the brothers come back, and this is where we see the mission. 
after the whole story unfolds, there's years and years of separation as, as we've seen in, year, in, in weeks past. Joseph is now in Egypt. He's now enslaved. He's now falsely accused. He's now put in a prison. He spends years in prison. He's get, he gets out. God releases him uh, and, and, and puts him to a place of authority where he can now distribute food. He's over all the food because they went into seven years of famine. And now there's famine. And now, and now he's in charge because he came out of being in prison like Christ came out of being in prison in the tomb. He's now put in a position where he can distribute over the entire world. This is where Christ is. And so Joseph comes and now the brothers come and they recognize that he's alive. And they had to wonder about it. They recognize he's alive. Secondly, they recognize he's alive and he still likes them. He recognizes that he's alive and he still embraces them. As we saw last week, he weeps over them. He hugs them. He, he accepts them. He receives them and brings them in. And now he says, I'm putting you on a mission. And here it is. Here's where we bring it right into our backyard. He said, you are now on a mission. I want you to go with a mission. And here it is. I'm alive. Go tell somebody I'm alive. Go back home and tell dad I'm alive. And there's someone he can go to. Watch this. Fascinating. Genesis 45. So they, the brothers, went up out of Egypt and came to the dad, their father Jacob, in the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they, they delivered the message. Joseph is still alive. You have been living in secret grief, in open grief. You have been living a divided life. You've been living a hopeless life because all of this time you thought the son was dead. And now he's on mission with this beautiful message. Not that your son was just crucified, but your son was crucified for the sins of the world, but that son is alive. Why is that a big deal? I'm going to keep hammering it today. It's a big deal because we're not just telling people they can go to heaven. We can tell people they can go to Jesus because Jesus is the answer to every single crack and crevice that we need. Yes. We have someone to bring him to. So watch this. Yes, 12 of us are super, uh, moderately excited about that. They told him Jesus is alive. In fact, he's over the whole operation. He's the ruler of Egypt. Watch this. Are you ready? Jacob was stunned, and he did not believe him. Oh, man, what a bummer part of the story. <laughs> you see the picture? You would think. That when you said to someone, Jesus isn't in the grave, he's alive. What? you got to be kidding me. This is the best news I've ever heard in my life. That's the response I get 100% of the time. <laughs> it wasn't the response. Paul is saying, Festus, listen, this is incredible. Jesus is coming back from the dead. We're coming back from the dead. And the response was, you're a nut. You're out of your mind. What are you talking about? Because it's so stunning. So we have to be prepared. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness 
and respect. So there is an onus on us, and that's kind of a weird word, onus. Sometimes you think you want to spell O-W-N like we own it, onus. But if you look at that word, it's on us. The responsibility is on us. We are the only messengers on the earth, and we have a message to say, Christ is alive, and you have someone to go to. You have someone to go to. In Acts chapter 17, Paul was speaking to the intellects in Greece. And many people, and let me, let me shift gears a little bit, because many people don't share this great news with Christ because of fear of rejection. Right? Let's just be honest. We don't share our faith sometimes because they may think we're nuts. Like Festus thought Paul was a nut. They were talking about a, a, a dead guy that came back to life. And many of us may be concerned that, like, well, they were stunned and they didn't believe us. But Paul gives us hope because his, that concern was never a hurdle. That concern was never a wall. That concern was never prohibitive. Okay? Paul was waiting while he was waiting for his friends in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, these statues. So watch this. He reasoned. Remember when he said to Festus, this is reasonable. He's, he's reasoning with them in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace where he works, live, and play day by day, every day. He's out there with those who happen to be there, whoever was in his path. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. So he gave up and went home because he was really, you know, defeated. Of course not. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. There it is again. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. There it is again. But others says, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. And a few men became followers of Paul, and they believed in Christ. Among them was Dionysius, or something like that, (laughs) a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. There is hope, because in the midst of being called a babbler, in the midst of being out of our minds, that there is hope, there are people that are desperately behind enemy scenes that need someone and want someone to go to. Let me be clear, because sometimes I'm a firm believer in what's called apologetics, which is the arguments of our faith. I'm totally about that. But what I've observed over the years is that sometimes with apologetics, it can become very theoretical, that here are the 15 points of why the resurrection happens, no problem with that. 
But it doesn't stop with a theory. It doesn't stop with an argument. It doesn't stop with a defense. It stops with Christ. In other words, in all of our reasoning and all of our apologetics and all of our theology, we can't leave Christ out of any of that. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes Christians were just all about the argument and it's all got to be about Christ because people don't need an argument. They need a savior. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. People need someone to go to, and the resurrection allows that. The resurrection empowers that, makes that possible for someone to go through. So now in Genesis chapter 45, the brothers reason with him. Here it is. Oh, so such a moving part of the story. This dad has been in enemy territory of grief because somebody con- convinced him that, you're, that's, that the son is dead. But now Israel, Jacob, the dad said, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. There it is. There's somebody to see. There's there's somebody to see because every religion says, hey, nothing here to see. There's nothing here to see. Because every religious leader, respectfully speaking, is somewhere buried in some sand or dirt somewhere around this planet. But Christ says, no, there's nothing here to see in the tomb. He's alive. We have someone to go to. I'm going to end today with this touching story. I showed this film many, many years ago, but it's it's crazy how God works. I, I... like you know, early on, uh, maybe weeks ago, I began to think about this film again and this incident. And then we, are, I was in a meeting with my wife this week, and she goes, "Yeah, there was this guy." I'm like, "Dude, are you kidding? What? That's what? That's what we're we're showing this week." There's a guy. His name was Nicholas Winton, and Nicholas Winton was a successful stockbroker in Great Britain, and and uh, was born in 1909. Uh, he died by the way, uh, pretty recently, born in 1909. He was a successful stockbroker in uh, Great Britain. And he was getting ready to go on vacation. I think it was 1938, if I'm not mistaken. And someone said, instead of going on vacation, I think it was going to be Switzerland or something like that, would you come to Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia at the time? And so he went to Czechoslovakia. And, the, and Nazi Germany was pushing in. They were beginning to push in. And of course, you remember that they, they were, were given the, the Sutalanda, uh, the southern part, one chunk of Czechoslovakia, and that was a significant historic mistake And because he was going to get more and more and more and more. And so right before then, the pressure of the Nazis against the Jews was just arising. And he had a friend that had a, an, an, an organization that was, was helping children, Jewish children, get out of, of Czechoslovakia because the, the Nazis were coming in and they were killing them and, or putting them in camps. And so something happened in him that he began to say, this is my mission, to go behind enemy territory and take these kids out. Here's the problem. They needed some they needed somewhere to go and someone to go to. So he made an agreement with the 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 British government and they said 
if you can find a, f- a family for each child so that the child has someone to go to, and if they're willing to put up enough money and they set a price, so in today's you know, language they may have said they have to have $10,000 so we know that they're not going to be a burden to society and we're going to bring them in. That was their rule. So there had to be a cost, a price paid, and there had to be someone to go to. This is the gospel. There was a price paid, and there's someone to go to. If you want a simple presentation of the gospel, that's it. There's a price that was paid by Jesus. He's no longer dead, so there's someone to go to. He began to pull these out. He began to get others involved and, try, and attempt to get them involved. He, he approached the Netherlands. He approached Franklin Roosevelt. And he was denied by every single country except Britain and Sweden to get them out. Just to give you an idea of the stakes, the last train to leave had 250 children on them. And they couldn't get him out. Two survived. The stakes are high in the spiritual game, guys. Because we're talking about eternal death. By the time it was all said and done, over a course of time, Nicholas Winton was able, was responsible for getting out 669 children from from Czechoslovakia. Near the end of his life, he died in 2015. Do the math. That's 106. At the near the end of his life, they brought him together and set him in an auditorium. And they began to read the list of children. And what he didn't know is the people that were sitting around him. Let's take a look. All the letters. Back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. Is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? Thank you so much for uh, 
the message that we get to carry to the world. And one day, God, we hope to stand before you and say, I have fought the good fight. And the evidence of that good fight will be the people that stand up behind us that we had no idea. I pray for this church family. I pray for those who are listening, God, that you'll continually recalibrate. We're so overloaded. God, help us not to lose sight of the mission. That we are in enemy territory. And we get to say, Joseph is alive. And we can go see him. Jesus is alive. And we get to go see him. Help us, God, to be willing to wade into the battle where we may be called idiots, nuts, wackos, babblers, sneered at, because there will be some. There will be some. There will be some, God. So, Father, thank you for putting us on this mission. Pray that we'll live sent. Father, we pray, God, for those even right now, for that offer that you give every moment of every day, through every year, through every decade, through every century, since Christ died, that offer stands right now, today, August 27, 2023. Perhaps you've come. Listen carefully. Christ is alive. If you're looking, or if you're looking, God, if you're looking for God, listen carefully. Christ is alive. He is your hope. He died for you. He put himself on a cross. He died for your sins so that you could come and not rely on any other thing but him. And he is alive. Listen, you have someone to go to because Christ is alive. So why not go to him right now and speak to him? Say, God, I'm broken. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Would that be your prayer? Why not speak to him now? I need you, God, and I trust in Christ alone. Make that your prayer. Don't trust in anything or anyone else. I trust in Christ alone, and here is my life. I give it to you, and pray, God, that that you will use it and put me on mission. Is that your prayer? Exchange your old life. Turn 180 degrees to him right now. Exchange your old life. Turn it in. Say, God, here's my life. In exchange, I want your new life. Would you breathe into me? Thank you, Father, that we can utter the name Jesus today. And not as a theology, not as an apologetic fact, not as a point of reasoning and not a theory, but as a person. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you. You are alive and we can come to you. What a remarkable, remarkable gift. We praise you for that in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.